Are you interested in leadership? Welcome to the Menzies Leadership Forum podcast. Tune in for insights and observations about leadership, the challenges and blind spots, attributes and values that you need to lead now and in the future. I'm Liz Gillies, Menzies Foundation CEO and your host today. Let's get started. It's my absolute delight to um, be able to welcome Jennifer Dolsky to the Menzies Leadership Forum today. This is sort of an unlikely meeting in some ways, but shows the great power of amazing boards and governance, because one of our directors suggested that I connect with Jennifer, who is a quite extraordinary person in terms of what she's done with her life and what she's focused on at the moment. So just by way of introduction, Jennifer comes to us from the United States, from the West Coast of the United States. Uh, I, I think I saw Forbes almost describe you as a doyen of Silicon Valley, I think, Jennifer, which is pretty <laughs> high praise. Uh, Jennifer's got an extraordinary uh, resume. Uh, she's had experience at Yahoo, at Google, at Change.org, at Facebook. She was one of the youngest female entrepreneurs, I think, to sell. Uh, she's an amazing entrepreneur, one of the youngest female entrepreneurs to sell uh, a business to Google. And most recently, she's just undertaken a very successful fundraising to launch her new team, Rising Team. In addition, Jennifer, it's a very long introduction, but there's a lot to say. In addition, Jennifer's written a book, which I enjoyed, I have to say, Jennifer, from the beginning to the very end. The book's called Purposeful, Are You a Manager or a Movement Starter? And I think, Jennifer, perhaps we might start there um, in terms of what motivated you to write that book and how, why purpose is your focus, I suppose. Like, can we just start there? Sure. So first of all, thank you for the very kind introduction. I'm blushing over here. So purposeful, I started writing it when I was working at change.org. And the thing that really inspired me was seeing, you know, everyday people do these extraordinary things all the time. And I was looking at them, trying to understand what it was that made them capable of standing up for what they believed in and doing something that would create a movement in the world. And I realized that they used the same sort of skills and techniques, no matter where they came from, whether they were a teenager or grandmother or a person who was incarcerated, that they were all sort of using the same skills and capabilities to get these movements to happen. And I thought, boy, if we could share those things with more people, then imagine what the world might be able to look like. And the other thing that was surprising to me was that the skills that the movement starters were using were actually also very similar to the skills I saw entrepreneurs use in the tech world. And so I just thought, it would be helpful to make sure more people understood because it's not, it's something really all of us can do. And that's what I wanted to get across in the book is that every single one of us has the power to be a movement starter for the causes that we care about if we do these basic things. So one of the final sentences in the book is I think a really powerful sentence. I've actually typed it out and stuck it on my wall in my office because I think it's a very compelling sentence. And that was, living a life in pursuit of positive impact is what is what matters, a life of purpose, a life of service, and a life driven by hope. It's a very galvanising call to arms, Jen, for all of us, really. 
Um, and I think the thing that struck me most about your book was so often leadership and stepping up is seen as the leader's role, but you really suggest that all of us have it in us to think about those sentiments, uh, to think about what matters, to think about a life of purpose, to think about a life of service. And I just so um, I just wondered about that orientation. I mean, that experience of we can all be leaders in our own contexts, in our own way, is the, I think, enduring message of your book. How Can you just give us some illustrations of how you sort of came to that really clear and strong call to, to the future, I suppose, in many respects? Yeah, it is what drives me. And I often describe life as feeling a little bit like a mountain. You know, some days you're climbing and it's really sunny and you can see the top and you're sure you're going to get there. And other days it feels really cloudy and like there's a huge storm coming and you'll never make it to the top. And purpose is the thing that has kept me climbing and I think is true for so many people. And the reason I think about that sentence, that it's living a life in pursuit of positive impact, in pursuit of it, whether or not we reach it, and a life of purpose and a life driven by hope is because if you look at actually what people say, even on their deathbeds, that's what they say. You know, people say, did I live a life that mattered? Did I try to do something positive in the world? And did I spend enough time with the people that matter to me? They rarely say things like, I wish I had bought more things or served on one more board. Um, and so when you think about what really makes a difference both in the world and to us each as individuals, it is really about living a life in pursuit of purpose. It's very closely aligned to the Menzies Foundation. Our whole, we have this whole, our strategy is all this pivot to purpose. How do we encourage people to think deeply about themselves? How do we encourage them to think of themselves in terms of their own leadership capability, to build capability and to contribute to the greater good? One of the other really clear messages in your book, which I once again I think is a very is a, a lot is a statement that makes us think what action should we take, is this idea of the world needs hope. So much of your book is centred around uh, um, affirmation of those who, in acknowledgement of that, have stepped into those places. Why do you think the world needs hope? What, where, how, you know, how does that form the sort of foundation from which you make the you build the discussion in the book? Yeah. So our world is in a challenging place right now. I think we can acknowledge that that we are in a world where. We're struggling around climate issues. We have a global pandemic. We have vast polarization. And one way to look at that would be to say, this is depressing. There's nothing we can do, et cetera. And the other way to look at it is to say, the only way we get out of this is for each of us to step forward and take a role. And if you look at the major movements in the world that have happened, women's rights, gay marriage rights, you know, civil rights, they all have started essentially by a single person or a small group of people stepping forward and taking individual action. And so what I talk about in the book is that there are a number of steps to do this, but the first step is just taking one small action. And essentially what's required is just a little bit of courage for people to have. And I sometimes describe it as it being similar to starting a standing ovation, but a standing ovation for a show that's just pretty good. 
you know, you're not positive that anyone else will stand up with you. It's not like standing ovation at Hamilton. And so, you know, you might be standing there alone for a little bit and actually maybe for a long while. But if you believe in what you're doing, it's worth standing up and asking other people to join you. And if you look at the actions people take to start these movements, most of them are quite small. Like one of the women I write about in the book is a woman named Amanda Wynn, who has been fighting for the rights of sexual assault survivors. And the first thing she did, this has now become a massive movement, at least in the United States. The first thing she did was just write an email to her friends and say, this is what happened to me. This is what I want to fight. And will you help me? One email started that movement. Because it's very interesting, like there's, in addition to this idea of the world needs hope, there's also increasing cynicism about leadership and leaders. You know, every global, um, every global uh, conversation about this talks about the cynicism of leadership, the mistrust people have in leaders. To be honest, Jennifer, even with someone with your background, the way technology is disrupting our lives and making things more difficult than each, you know, it, all this question about um, I just wonder how we make purpose universal. Like there are so many amazing examples in your book of these individuals who do take that step and who do have that courage. But I'm also interested in, in the sort of mass in large groups of people who don't necessarily see that as part of the way they think about themselves. How do you think we make it beyond the really extraordinary brave few that you tell such amazing stories about in your book to make it something that's actually everybody's responsibility, that all of us, no matter where we find ourselves or what we do, should be connecting into our purpose? Well, the really interesting thing about this is, you, you know, in my book, I talk about movement starters, but a movement, while it can be started by one person, it is not a movement if it only has one person in it. You need people to join you and to participate and actively get engaged. And so it is true that not even though we're all capable, it's not 100% of people are going to stand up on their own and start a movement, but we can all join and support other people's causes that we care about. And so even small actions, like people used to ask me all the time, does signing, does my signature matter on a petition? And I would sometimes say, you know, drops in the bucket are how you fill buckets, right? You cannot fill a bucket without a lot of drops. And so, yes, every signature matters. Every small donation to a fundraiser matters. Every person who shows up at a march or a protest matters because without each individual, you don't have a movement. And so that's how I think we get there is it won't be every person who takes the lead and it won't be every person who does it every day. But if we each do a little bit, some days, that's how we get to a better world. Uh, and I think that's actually the great message in your book. There are amazing stories about people who started movements, but it's the people that follow behind them that I think is the thing that's really galvanizing. And that, and that point you make, that taking small steps, being conscious of purpose, service, contribution, is the orientation that starts you in that, in that yeah. way of thinking. So, so Jennifer, you have this amazing career doing extraordinary things with the biggest tech companies in the world, and you leave it all behind to set up your own, to be entrepreneurial again, and to set up your own, um, set up your own business, which I want to talk about in a little while, um, but I just want to ask you, one of the leadership attributes that the Menzies Foundation is really becoming increasingly aware of is an entrepreneurial disposition, um, that 
this idea of countenance of, of coping with failure, of stops and starts, of big visions, of small steps to, you know, all those, all the challenges of being an entrepreneur really lie at the heart of actually what new ways of thinking about leadership are in an increasingly complex world. Tell me a little bit about how you see the relationship between that entrepreneurial disposition and this uh, relationship to purpose and people's motivations in life. How's that played out for you? So I actually, when I describe the book, when I summarize it, even though I didn't write about this in in the book, when I look back on it, I say there are essentially three things that are critical for all movement starters. They are courage, community, and commitment. And that is also the identical three things you need to be an entrepreneur, right? You absolutely need courage to get started. I knew when I started my first venture-backed company that actually the odds were higher that I would report having seen a UFO than that my company would succeed. When I looked up the odds of that happening, it was one in eight. Um, But I also knew that if I didn't try it, I would always wonder and regret. So there's that courage that starts at the beginning. Community is the fact that same thing, same as with the movement starters, entrepreneurs cannot do it on their own. We may have an idea and something we're excited and passionate about and a purpose, but we need a team of people around us and ideally a great passionate team of people to help us build what we want to create. And then third is commitment because as you point out, it's all ups and downs. It's all sunny day, cloudy day on the mountain. And boy, are there a lot of hard days. And I think that third piece, the commitment is probably what has led me to be successful in this, you know, sphere, because I have a, you know, what they think they call abundance mindset, which is there must be a solution. Whatever is the problem right now, there must be a way to solve it. I don't know what it is always right up front and I often need help, but I don't let any one challenge get in my way. And I have a a sign that I used to have up in my office that said, the cup is always full. And it says half water, half air. So it's really about how you look at it. And I think there's something in the entrepreneurial spirit that says, how am I going to keep going, even when it doesn't look like there's a way forward? Uh, so if we can now come to Rising Team, which is your new um, enterprise, I have to say the Menzies Foundation has signed up as uh, one of your early um, advocates and finding it enormous and finding it actually a really, um, we're only halfway through, but a very interesting um, opportunity to really develop our team. And, and the, what I'd like to start off before, so just perhaps just tell us a little bit about Rising Team before I ask. What's your ele- what's the elevator pitch, Jen? Yeah, so <laughs> Rising Team equips managers to build more successful, connected and engaged teams by equipping them with the tools to run plug and play transformative team building sessions around key leadership topics. So one of the things that we're also seeing in our leadership work is this shift from the leader to leadership, which sounds like an obvious thing, but this notion of the person at the front, the hero, the person at the top of the pile is really being replaced by much broader conceptualization of what leadership is. And the team is absolutely at the centre of that. So sorts of other leadership attributes that we're really seeing as being increasingly relevant is how comfortable are you in complexity? 
How adaptive are you? How, how much can you work with not being the expert, but working how to combine multiple expertises? How empathetic are you? These are the very qualities, Jennifer, that I see sitting at the heart of Rising Team. And I, I just think it's an interesting way, it's an interesting movement in leadership that's becoming preeminent. And I just wanted how you thought, where does the leader sit in the notion of your team, of the conceptualization of the importance of the team? Where, where did this idea of rising team come from? Why was the team preeminent for you? And are you also noticing and seeing this movement to just the incredible importance of empowering teams as opposed to focusing on leadership development? I mean, absolutely. And in fact, we named the company Rising Team for that reason. It's not about the leader, it's about the team. And it's the leader is there in service of the team's potential and the team's success. And the model I've used for this for a long time uh, comes from a book by Ken Blanchard called Gung Ho, which is based on a Native American folktale about lessons that animals can teach us about leadership. And there is a chapter in the book called The Gift of the Goose. And it talks about how geese fly in a V and the goose at the front is the one that blocks the air from everyone. So technically the leader and the geese in the back honk to cheer on the leader at the front, but they take turns. It's not the same leader every time. They switch who's in the front so that they can each bear the load of the oncoming air and whoever's behind them supports them when they're in that role. And so I agree completely that the team as a unit can and should be successful together. And the way we built Rising Team is that every month you do a session with the team. The leader is the facilitator, but everybody in the team actually has the same experience. They see the same pages. Anyone on the team could speak up and say, it, you know, it says we should talk about this right now. They can take a leadership role in the process. And the idea is for leaders and their teams to grow together rather than traditional leadership development, which has been train the leader and then have, send them back to their team and hope that they figure out how to, how to bring those concepts back to the team. We just say, have the whole team do it together. And it builds not only the individual development and growth for each person, but a much deeper sense of connection with across the team. So what are your hopes and dreams for Rising Team? Yeah, so, you know, our vision for Rising Team is actually that everyone in the workforce feels deeply understood, supported, and empowered to reach their goals. And if you ask me, I would say I would love every team on earth to use Rising Team because I really do believe this is what people want. And in fact, right now, as you know well, everything about the way we work has changed in the last 18 months. You know, the stats are saying now globally, nearly half of all employees are thinking about leaving their jobs in the next three to six months. Half of all knowledge workers will be remote or hybrid by the end of this year. So this massively huge disruption in the workplace and the people who are studying it are finding that while people love the flexibility and the idea that you can work from anywhere, what they crave and miss is the humanity at work. So McKinsey just came out with this study on the great resignation and it, it's, it has this chart that says, here's what employers think employees want and here's what employees actually want. And in the actually want bucket, 
It is to feel valued by their manager and their organization. They want a sense of belonging. They want care and trust with their teammates and they want opportunities for their own growth. And so we essentially are building Rising Team to deliver on exactly those things. And that those are my hopes and dreams that we can deliver that to people all over the world. Uh, Jen, part of the purpose of the Menzies Leadership Forum is to meet with a range of leaders and also to a little understand their own personal leadership journey. What's your purpose, Jen? So my purpose has always been about empowering other people to be their best. And my journey to that has been about how do you get to that at scale? So if I look at my life, you know, I started early on as a crew coxswain, high school and college. I was coxswain on the rowing team. And, you know, my job was how do I get the team to win? And how do I get each person to push themselves just a little bit harder than they think they could? And by doing a good job at that, I helped each person on that team believe more in themselves and their own capabilities and potential. And I helped us win a national championship, you know, which was also pretty good. Um, and after college, I became a teacher and I ran a nonprofit to help students be the first in their families to go to college. So it was again about helping people really achieve their potential. It was linear in its growth though, right? We could raise twice the money and we could serve twice the students. And so the reason I got into tech was about how do you start to create that impact in the world at bigger, grander scale? And that's what led to change.org and you know Facebook communities and Rising Team. And so Jen, when you think about your leadership journey, uh, someone asked me this question the other day, leadership's always a journey. You, I don't think you arrive, if that makes sense. I think you continually reflect and work out what you want to do. What are the, what are the leadership attributes that you think you've cultivated in yourself that have allowed you to be have the success that you've found in the world? Well, first of all, I completely agree with you. I do not think there is a destination. I feel always on a journey. And some days I feel more successful on that journey and some days less. Um, the attributes that I think I have, one is just a real desire and um, capability for learning. So I absolutely love to learn. I think it's also why I was a teacher and it's allowed me to jump into new categories and get up to speed quickly and contribute quickly. And so that's very helpful from a leadership standpoint, because oftentimes it's not that you're staying at the same organization indefinitely. You take on new leadership roles, which mean you have to get to really deeply understand people quickly, the category, the strategy. So that learning capacity, I think, has been helpful. And the other thing I think is, as you brought up before, just pure adaptability, right? I, when I get knocked down, I just figure out a way to get back up. And that cup always full attitude has been helpful. You know, I might get frustrated about a particular challenge for a few hours or even a day or two. But after that, I'm able to pretty quickly shake it off and say, how are we going to do the next thing? How are we going to climb the next steps on the mountain? And I think those have been the two most helpful things for me. And so, Jen, when you think about like um, you're a woman in tech, as I said, you've sold businesses, you've created businesses, you've got some of the biggest tech companies in the world. At the Menzies Foundation, we also support a lot of younger leaders in science, in school contexts, um, young 15 to 17-year-olds. 
what it and so particularly I suppose to the women uh, in those contexts, the emerging leaders that at the Menzies Foundation we're supporting, if you could look back over the last 20 or 30 years, what would you suggest that they do in order two things, Jen, link to their purpose and help that make that manifest in their lives, but two, think about how they develop themselves as leaders as they move into the future. Well, I think leadership is made up of two pieces in my mind. One is your natural talent. So each of us have things that come easily to us that we love to do that, you know, our parents and childhood friends would say about us. And so discovering those and staying true to your authentic natural talents, I I believe is a way for people to be more successful and happier in their lives. So for instance, I had a career epiphany midway through my career where I realized that I had become fairly senior in a function that wasn't my natural talent. And one way to recognize that is, do you want your boss's job? <laughs> and in that case, I didn't. And it was a big wake up call for me. So I think trying to identify those early uh, is really helpful. We do have an exercise, as you know, because you've done it in Rising Team that helps people identify their talents. And then the other piece is, it, it is also a conscious choice. So part of it is what you're naturally good at. And part of it is what you want, how you want to be as a leader. And some of that comes from a keen sense of observation. So as you grow up in your career, you'll see people who you really believe in and inspire you and you want to model after. And you'll see people who do the reverse where you say, I really don't want to do it like that. And being conscious about those things, I think can help, um, can help a lot as you develop your own leadership brand and style and so forth. Um, I also, for Rising Team, we have this philosophy I call the three C's. Um, it's also three C's like in the book, but it's a different set of C's. Um, and I call them coach, clarify, and connect. And so that's the other thing that I think has been for me a core part of developing as a leader is to say, I really only need to do three things. I need to first, you know, set and clarify a really inspiring, clear vision for the team. Where are we going? What does it look like? What is at the top of the mountain? What is our purpose? So it does start with purpose. And then the coach piece is about building a team that can help you get there and deeply understanding each individual on that team. Because the best leaders understand that it's not everybody's the same on the team. Each person has their own needs, preferences, talents, and how can you help them grow such that they also help the team. And the third piece is connect, which is great leaders make people feel like they're part of something and they are connected to each other. And so if you can successfully do that, build community within your team, you also will be extremely effective as a leader. So I try to simplify it down, just those three things. If I can just do those three things, I can be successful at this. Well, yeah, thank you so much, Jen, for your time today. It's just a very exciting for the Menzies Foundation to be able to chat to someone, you know, who's doing the work that you're doing in the world. And we really appreciate your time and the fact that you joined us. So thank you very much on behalf of the Menzies Foundation. Thank you so much for having me and congrats on all the great work that you are all doing. <laughs>